welcome to Moments in Time and Space, a microfiction podcast, bringing you tales of horror and suspense with your host, Aaron Miracle. Hello, everyone. We don't often hear news from small towns. These sleepy communities rarely have events that overshadow the big stories that come out of major cities. Many times, people forget these little communities even exist. Sounds like a perfect place to hide something that many would find questionable. The mound just appeared one day. Well, it feels like it did. The town was blissfully ignorant of its presence till one cool fall afternoon. Charlie Evans was down at the diner sitting with his group of gossiping old-timers when he brought it up. He had stopped to help two fellows with a flat tire just to the edge of town. They got to chatting and one of them let it slip that they were on their way for their shift at the mound out near Silver Lake. They shut up after that and try as he might, Charlie couldn't get them to tell him more. Charlie had his own idea what the mound was and he was convinced it was a toxic waste dump. A few of his buddies laughed at his tale, but some took him seriously. They began to spread the story about the mound and after a few weeks, the whole town was talking about it and not in a good way. The rumors of fear-mongering got so bad that Mayor Finks had to hold a town hall. Pretty much the whole town packed into the Southside High School gymnasium to hear what the mayor had to say. To this day, I don't think I've ever seen the gym that full. Not even when the senior basketball team went all the way to the state finals. We all sat in that hot gymnasium facing a little makeshift stage, waiting for the mayor to address us. He came on the stage followed by an army of people in suits. They sailed into chairs near the back of the stage while Mayor Fink stood behind a wooden podium. With a microphone in hand, the mayor ran through his opening spiel and explained the mound. He cut a deal with some company whose name I forget to have the mound placed near our town. It doesn't contain nuclear waste or anything toxic, and the mayor assured us that the mound was safe. In exchange for hosting the mound, the town would be well compensated, and any issues would be handled by the company without hesitation. We asked a lot of questions that night, but only got a few answers in return. Anytime the mayor would get close to delivering some words that might satisfy our curiosity, one of the suits in the back of the stage would clear their throat and the mayor would stop talking. When the town hall was over, all we really knew was the mound was off limits and the town would be a beacon of prosperity for years to come thanks to the generous support of the company. I took that to mean the mayor would be getting a big new house and some fancy cars while the town got a park bench or two. A few weeks went by and the hullabaloo over the mound died down. We really didn't hear any more about it and to be honest, I kind of forgot about it myself. I think most of the town did. That is until Charlie came to the diner one night, as pale as a ghost. He told those present in a hushed tone that against his better judgment, he went out to take a gander to the mound. Getting out there was a little hard to do, because the company had the main road leading up to it blocked off. So Charlie had to cut through the woods. It took a while, but he got within viewing distance of the mound. He managed to find a hill where he had a good look at the site. Charlie described the mound as being as big as two football fields side by side, and it was surrounded by a tall fence. It wasn't too long before a big truck rolled up to the only gate in the fence and coasted to a stop. After a moment, the large gate slid open and the truck continued inside the fence perimeter. It backed up to the mound and began dumping something into it. Every so often, Charlie swore something would climb out of the mound. When this happened, people dressed in thick silver suits rushed over and set on fire with flamethrowers. Charlie said he never got a good look at what was coming out of the mound, but what he saw was enough to scare the living hell out of him. Of course, None of us believed a word Charlie said. We teased him about needing to ease up on the booze and stop watching so much of that horror stuff on TV. This didn't stop Charlie from telling people what he saw over and over again. 
After a while, and from being funny to being annoying because Charlie was convinced we were all in danger and he would not shut up about the mound. We finally got a break when Charlie left town one day. At least, that was what we were told when he didn't show up at the diner for a few nights. Some folks put in calls to Sheriff Banks, concerned about Charlie's whereabouts. Sheriff Banks told us he made some inquiries and found out Charlie had gone back east to see his sister. I never heard Charlie mention his sister before, and I felt it was about time for me to take a look at the mound myself. I set out a few hours before sundown. Following Charlie's idea, I cut through the woods to a place where I knew I would get a good view of the mound. The woods may seem intimidating to some, but I was raising them. From the time I could walk, my pa took me with him on his hikes, and I probably spent more time in the trees than I did in school. I decided to approach the east side of the mound because I might be the least watched, since it backed onto Buffer's Gorge. There was also a pretty good rock formation near there that would give me a decent look into what was going on at the site. I reached the rock outcropping just before sundown. My vantage point was partially surrounded by trees to give me a bit of cover, but there were enough gaps to let me get a good look at the mound. I raised the battered pair of binoculars I had brought with me and scanned the area. It was easy to find the mound. It looked like someone had scooped out a large area of the forest and dropped a massive pile of dirt in the middle of it. I saw the fence that Charlie had described. Tall and topped with barbed wire, I'm pretty sure I saw a few signs that warned it was electrified. There was a large gate set into one side of the fence and a small white guardhouse was nestled right beside it. As for the mound itself, it was hard to see any inside of it. Beyond the high edges of dirt, the inside of the mound was dark and deep. The sound of a large heavy vehicle drew my attention, and I panned my binoculars to find the source of the sound. A dump truck, bigger than any I've ever seen, was slowly making its way to a large gate in one part of the fence. As the truck approached, the gate slid open and allowed it to roll through. It made a three-point turn and backed up to the edge of the mound. The buck of the dump truck slowly raised, and things began to spill into the mound. It was hard to make out what was being dumped, and I couldn't even take a guess at what it could be. Once the truck had dumped its load, bulldozers parked at the back of the site roared to life and began to push dirt into the gaping darkness in the middle of the mound. Up until this point, all I've ever seen was something that looked like a trash dumping operation. Whether it was toxic or dangerous, I couldn't tell. Maybe Charlie had just spun a yarn to entertain himself and have a good laugh. My thoughts were interrupted by a commotion arising from near the mound. It took me a few moments to find where the commotion was happening and focus my binoculars to see what was going on. What I saw made my heart skip several beats. Something was climbing out of the mound. Charlie had been right. The thing that had climbed out of the mound was getting to its feet. It wobbled as it tried to find its balance, and once stable, it began to lurch forward. In the fading sunlight, I could see that it was human, or had once been. It looked like a female and was dressed in the remains of a hospital gown. Pussy sores and weeping wounds covered every inch of the exposed skin of the figure. Its face wore an expression of pain and despair. As I looked at its features, I slowly realized I knew the figure. It was Susan Davies. Susan worked at a local library and took a lot of pride in her garden. She was a common figure at the farmer's market and always had a kind word for others. It wasn't that long ago I remember her telling me she was feeling a bit under the weather with a flu bug or something like that. She was going to head over to the hospital in Harrisburg to see if the doctors there could find her some relief from her symptoms. I don't recall ever seeing her after that. The image of Susan on my binoculars was replaced with jets of flame. I lowered them from my eyes and could still make out two silver-clad figures spraying flaming gel at what was once Susan Davies. The inferno consumed Susan's body and she collapsed to the ground. The two silver-clad figures turned off their flamethrowers and let the flaming remains burn until the gel was consumed. I had seen enough. With shaking hands, I put away my binoculars and began to make my way back to town. I had no idea what I was going to do. If I spoke up to the wrong person, 
I could vanish suddenly like Charlie did. That would have to be a tomorrow problem to solve. Right now, I just wanted to get home and crawl into my warm bed. I was beginning to feel the chill coming over me, and my stomach was not feeling the greatest. It was probably just nerves from what I saw tonight. A good night's sleep, I should be right as rain. How are you feeling? Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. You can also follow me on Twitter at Moments in TAS. Feel free to recommend this podcast to others and help it grow. The opening and closing theme is Creepy Night by Daniel Carlton. Until next time, be safe, be smart, and be well. See you soon.